You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, my dad's a man's man. He just is. He's a pastor. I've told you that before, but he's tough and he doesn't like his. He doesn't waver. His yes is his yes. His no is his no. And growing up, he was definitely the strong arm of the law inside of our household. Now, my mom was not a pushover by any means, but when it came to dad, she was much more lenient than he was. And I remember this specific day. I believe it was a Saturday. I was a teenager, and my dad is just being super loud in the kitchen. And I'm trying to sleep in like every teenager does. And I'm just like, come on, dude. And I got to give you a little backstory. My dad's old school, which means 4 or 4.30 every single morning he wakes up for no apparent reason at all because there's work to do. And the thought of somebody sleeping until 9 or 10 is absurd to him. Look, I get it, except we're not farmers. There's nothing to do. And it's Saturday. Go to sleep, old man, right? And so I get up and I'm just fired up. I'm like, it sounds like New York City in the other room. It's crazy. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to let him have a piece of my mind. You know, and so I'm like, get up and I walk in. And I'm like, this is crazy. What are you doing, man? And it, it, it didn't go the way I had planned it in my head. <laughs> didn't work out that way. And I quickly realized when push come to shove, my dad was not going to be told how things were going to happen in his household. And I realized real quickly that I made a big mistake and I didn't have the authority that I thought I had. Do you ever think that you've had more authority than you actually have? Or that you're better at something than you actually are? How many of you guys are fans of the Rocky movies? Any Rocky movie fans? I'm going to ask you a question. Don't mess this up, church. There's only, there's only one right answer. Which one's your favorite? Just yell it. No, you guys are sad. It's a sad, can't wait for second service. It's three. It has to be three because listen, it has Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips. That's the greatest name for fake wrestling in all of the history of fake wrestling. And then it has Mr. T who was this icon in the 80s when the movie came out. He was kind of mysterious. Nobody really knew a whole lot about him as part of the A-team. And he was Clubber Lane. And then it had the quintessential veteran fighter, Apollo Creed. Now, at the end of Rocky III, they become friends and they start uh, training together. At the very end of the movie, they're going to do a one-on-one bout to see who's toughest. This is not for anybody else. It's just nobody else is in the ring, just them two. And right before the fight starts, Apollo Creed looks at Rocky, this new and up-and-coming star, and he says, you fight great, but I'm a great fighter. There's something about knowing who you are knowing the authority in which you have. If you have your Bibles, turn with, uh, with me to John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 16 through 30 this morning. We're going to look at the authority in which Jesus said that he has when he proclaims it. Before we get to that, let's just take a couple minutes and catch us up on where we've been so far. This is a four-week series called John. It's an expository look at the book of John, which basically means we just go verse by verse through the book of John. Now, this is one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. This is the most different of the Gospels. Not better or worse, just different the way it's written. This is generally the book that I will tell new believers this is a book to start if you want to know about who this guy Jesus is and how he's came to save us of our sins. And it's also the book that we decided to join forces with Adoptiverse to translate for a people group in Nepal so they can get some of the Bible. So far in the first four chapters, John tells us that Jesus is the son of God and he always has been. He's always been around. 
Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. From the very beginning, it established so differently than the rest of the Gospels. And then we find this guy coming on the scene named John the Baptist, and he's preparing the way for the Messiah. And then he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then he says that that is the Messiah. And then last week we heard uh, Monty talking about uh, Jesus finally tells people who he is. He kind of had spoken code up in there. He, he referred to himself as son of man, which is kind of interesting. But then he meets this Samaritan woman, and she said, we're looking for this Messiah. And he's like, I'm that guy. I am the Messiah. So now we are in chapter 5, and the first 15 verses can be summed up like this. Jesus walks uh, into the city, and there's a man laying by the sheep's gate, which is next to a pool called Bethesda. And so he's sick. Some uh, translations say he was a paralytic. And Jesus looks at him and begins a conversation with him. Jesus said, do you want to get well? The man says, yes, I've been trying to get down to this pool. But every time I do, people pass right past me. See, time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down, stir the pool. And uh, when he did so, people would receive healing. So this man thought, if I could just get to this pool, then I could receive healing. And then Jesus did what Jesus does. Just a matter of fact, he's like, take your mat and walk. And the man is healed. It's not that big of a surprise, though, right? Because miracles happen everywhere once Jesus' ministry started. I do think it's interesting to note, though, that the book of John doesn't refer to miracles as miracles. He calls them signs, all showing or pointing to the deity of who Jesus was. So it could never be confused that it's some great magician or wizard that are doing these things. Nonetheless, signs and wonders follow Jesus everywhere he went. So what would be the big deal about this one? Well, here's the big deal. He did this on the Sabbath. So now all these religious leaders are all bent out of shape because how dare you break the custom? How dare you do something that's not customary of what we're told is right? And they start to miss the forest for the trees. So we pick up in verse 16. Now this is 14 verses we're going to read, so just uh, bear with me and read along. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he pleases to give to. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. He keeps going. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself. And he has given him the authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not be amazed at this, for the time is coming when you who are in the graves will hear the, his voice and come out, and those who have done what is good will rise and live, and those who have done what is evil will be condemned. By myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Wouldn't you imagine in these 14 verses that all Jesus is doing is just exasperating the issue with these religious people? Because he went from, hey, uh, I'm healing on the Sabbath to I'm God and I judge and I can give life or death. The whole uproar came because people got bent out of shape because Jesus did something that wasn't customary, right? He chose to do something that was good on the Sabbath and all kinds of people started missing what was really happening. Over the course of my career, I've came across a lot of customs inside of churches. I've told you I've worked at six different churches in the course of almost 23 years now. I've seen a lot of customs between music and dress attire, all the way to fundamental differences that split churches wide open. And I think that we so easily allow what we think to be right to get in the way of what really is right, and that is following him no matter what. Change is never easy, and sometimes it can feel as if we're stepping on sacred ground. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with customs. That's part of who we are. Sometimes change is necessary, and that can bring out the very worst in all of us who struggle with being religious at times. And Jesus is saying, okay, guys, I got to let you in on a secret here, okay? I'm God. Like, there's, there's no more plan. This is the authority in which I come. This is the authority in which I talk. You guys are getting all bent out of shape because I healed somebody on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Somehow they will twist what was done for good so that God the Father could be praised to be evil. So here we have Jesus saying, I'm the son of God. My will is to do what my Father, God Almighty in heaven, wants me to do. But what stood out to me and what I really want to talk about today is verse 22. Jesus said, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. This is not what we generally think of in the church world, is it? We think of God the Father as the strong arm of the lost, much like my dad was in our household. And then we think of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, as kind of this love personified figure. And yet in verse 22, Jesus says, I am the judge. Your eternity, my eternity, our eternity is 100% contingent on if we believe that Jesus, in fact, is the judge, is the truth, is faithful. Remember back a couple chapters to the most famous chapter in the entire Bible, John 3, 16. I'm not going to put it on the screens. I just want you to, I want to show everybody how many people know this verse. Just say it. For God so... You're trailing off. Come on. You got this. <laughs> for, for us to really understand what that scripture means, I think we have to look a little bit deeper and look at the next two verses. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We often will take scriptures out of context as Christians, right? 
Even us as pastors, sometimes we mess it up and we try to figure out, well, does that really work here? Or we'll misinterpret it. I think this is, John three seventeen is one of those scriptures that gets misinterpreted. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, I think is what we want to say sometimes. That's not what it says, though. There's a big difference between condemnation and judgment. Look, condemnation set. From the beginning of time when humanity decided to sin, condemnation was set. We are now born into this world as sinners. Our reality is doomed, if you will. Judgment is condemning by nature, but it's not on the judge. It's on our actions. So Jesus, being this amazing grace that we have sung about for so many years, says, look, I I haven't come to condemn you. No, no, no. I came to give you life. But make no mistake at all, I will judge accordingly. Remember that very last uh, verse in what we were reading in John chapter 5 today. Verse 30, it says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is, will you say that word? Just. It means he's fair. He's going to judge according to what he sees. So we are condemned, right? Naturally from death. Real fun message, right? Unless, unless we have Jesus. Unless he comes in and changes this. But here's the thing. You would think everybody would just choose that. But in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 19, it says, This is the verdict. Light came into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their de- deeds were evil. Do you understand the magnitude of what is happening here in these scriptures? Jesus is, he's healing on the Sabbath. That's minor at this point. He's now pronouncing that he's God, uh, that he is the judge of all mankind. And then we also know him to be the sacrifice for all mankind, right? How can Jesus be two very distinct yet extreme polar opposite beings? How can he play these two roles? How can he be the lion and the lamb? We sing that song. I love that song. We're actually closing the service out with that song today. But have you ever really thought about what you're singing when you sing that song? The lion and the lamb. It's kind of the dichotomy that makes this this statement in chapter 5 when he says, I'm the judge, seems so interesting as we know he is the sacrifice too. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. In my D group, we just went through Revelation uh, past few weeks. It's heavy. It's deep. And uh, it's not for the faint at heart. There's a lot that I don't really understand as I read it. uh, But there's some amazing stuff in there. It's fascinating, horrifying, all at the same time as judgment begins. We're going to look at chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one. In heaven or on earth or under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So what's getting ready to show up? Naturally, from hearing what this elder says, you would think a lion is getting ready to show up, right? It just makes sense. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, 
standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into this earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. That'd be a cool sermon just in itself. And then they sang a new song. John, the author of Revelation, said, I was moved to tears, like actual weeping, feeling despair, because no one was worthy to open this scroll. And then this elder looks at me and says, don't, don't cry. Like, the lion took care of this. But what shows up is a lamb that looks like it's been slain. Revelation chapter 5 shows you these two very distinct roles that Jesus would play for humanity to stand a chance. No one was worthy in all of heaven, in all of earth, and under the earth. No one. And then this lamb who was spotless walked up and took the scroll. And the elder says the lion is the lamb. What imagery and amazement. Jesus is the judge. He is the lion. He stands before all others as this great and mighty beast that the world has to look at and says, you are the king and he will judge. But listen, at the very crux of Christianity, he is a lamb that died for us. The sacrifice that could get us into heaven. Jesus is telling these people, these religious people, guys, this is not about customs. It's not about rituals. It's not about what you can offer to my father. He has everything. It's about me. You want the father, it comes through me. It doesn't go backwards. You don't get God the father and then you get Jesus. We get God the father when we get Jesus. Verse 24 of chapter 5 said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus says there's no judgment for all of us who are following him and believes in him and his father. That's the great news. That's the amazing grace that we cling to because we know that we're flawed. We're condemned by our sinful nature and yet if we know Jesus, we're set apart and he brings life. But listen to me, church. This is not some universal mindset. This is not all dogs go to heaven. I preached this last year and I will die on this hill. Not all roads and all religions lead to heaven. That is not how this works. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we get to the Father, that we get into the throne room. That's the only way. Once, uh, once this lamb opened the scroll and the seven seals, destruction and judgment begin to be fulfilled. We see what this looks like a little bit in Revelation 19. And this verse is Revelation 19 and 11. And it says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. Faithful and true. The lamb that was slain for all to know and accept his way will return and he will judge. But remember, for God so loved what? The world. The world. God so loved the world. Not good people, not rituals, not stuff that you can throw up and say, this is what I did. He loved broken, sinful people 
and he's made a way. There's nothing more that Jesus needs to do. So now we either believe him as faithful and true or we wait until he brings judgment for the sins of all who have chosen to listen to his words, disregard them and say they're not true. For all who have spat on him or cursed him or mocked his name by the way they live his life. For all the false religions that have led people by the masses to destruction, they will stand before the judgment throne of God and be judged accordingly. The time will come when we will all give account for our lives and this is where we so desperately need the lamb to show up. You see, if he's all-powerful as the lion is, he's probably not real loving. Then we don't get to heaven, right? We don't stand a chance. We can't stand for one second in the presence of a God that can't be in the presence of sin. And if he's all-loving as we know the lamb to be, well, he's not real powerful, is he? We need this perfect blend of the lion and the lamb, the one who will judge accordingly, but will also cover sins accordingly at the exact same time because he's that good. He's not just the lion, he is the lamb. He's not just power, he's love. He's not just grace, he is the judge. He is the sword and the shield. He's the sacrifice and the warrior. He's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's not to be toyed with and yet he wants a relationship closer than a brother. He is the great I am. He's a king, but he's also a servant. He's the wrath and he's the mercy. He is Jesus. He doesn't have to answer to sinful people and yet he died for sinful people. He's the one called faithful and true. The question is, do you know him? Because if you don't know him, you don't get there. That's how it works. And if you know him, you know how awesome he is and what kind of sacrifice he went to to change your life, to change your eternity. And cue Satan, right? He's a punk. He comes in immediately and he'll start telling you this isn't true. Or he'll tell you if there really is a God that's love, there's no way he's going to love you because look at the junk in your life. He's going to remind you of all the brokenness, all the sin, everything that you've ever done. But listen, he's just a deceiver. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He'll use every means possible to get us to waver off course. But listen, he's nothing more than a wannabe. He's a fake. He's not really a lion. He just tries to be a lion. I want you to take an introspective look at your life real quick. And I want you to think about what Jesus provides those of us who believe in him, who've called upon his name all the junk in our lives, the countless times that we have failed him, that we will fall, the nights of despair and emptiness, the shame and the guilt that has rid us of joy, the lamb died for those times. He died for those sins. The lion and the lamb died for us. You see, Satan's nothing more than a yapping dog. It's pretending to be tough. And yet it says that we are children of God. We're kind of like those baby cubs. We have the spirit of God living inside of us. We have a lion inside of us. The question is, what happens when those lions, little lion cubs realize who they are? Well, Satan's not all that tough anymore, is he? The dog can't do a whole lot. Matter of fact, the dog's probably lunch at that point. 
When Jesus encountered the man laying by the gates, trying to get to the pool, he asked him this question, do you want to get well? And so I pose the same question to you. Do you want to get well? Do you want to know this man named Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper into knowing this man named Jesus? The one who has all power and all mercy stands next to you and says, you don't have to be judged. You just don't. Let me take your place. But he can't force it. And if we say yes to him, then when the time comes that the book of life is opened up and everything is accounted for, all of our deeds, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if we said yes to him and we followed him, then he's going to say, he's mine, she's mine, they're mine. And then the father's with open arms is going to say, come on in, because the lion chose to be a lamb. If you haven't accepted Jesus in your heart, it's the greatest decision that you could ever make in this lifetime. And I ask you, why wait? We're not guaranteed another moment in this life. And while the lion will judge accordingly, there is a lamb that was slain for you and me to know the Father. Will you take him up on that? What a beautiful and a wonderful and a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus that washes away sin. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you that we have a way to communicate with you. We thank you that we don't have to have a bunch of uh, priests in the Old Testament that sacrifice animals once a year so that you could uh, atone our sins, Lord. But we can truly go right into the throne room because Jesus took care of <clears throat> everything. Father, I pray that you would stir the hearts of every single pe- person that's here today, that they could hear your voice call those who haven't given everything over to you, God, all of us to go deeper into you, following you. You are the greatest thing that we could ever have. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Over the course of time, I've grown up. Now, if you know me real well, you're like, not really completely (laughs) from a mature standpoint, but I'm 43 years old now and I have my own family. And I often find myself as the strong arm of the law in my own household. I've been blessed with wonderful family, amazing wife, two beautiful children, a couple decades in the ministry seeing God do some amazing things, seeing lives changed, countless material, countless spiritual blessings throughout my life. But I still want to make my dad proud. I just do. Now, all the more my heavenly father. Have you ever thought about that Jesus always wanted to make his dad proud? In John chapter 17, which we'll get through in this series, he's talking to God the Father about his disciples and how much he loves them. And he says, I want them to be unified like you and I are, I in you and you in me. That's why Jesus came. A way for you and me, sinners beyond repair, to know his daddy. We can get caught up in the rituals. We can get caught up in the frustrations, the customs. We can get caught up in people. And we can just constantly be frustrated. Or we can fall in love with Jesus and he'll take us right into the throne room of the Father. And that church is amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Oh, he's a lion. Make no mistake about it. But he has the heart 
of a lamb. I asked Missy to lead us in a new song this morning called What a Beautiful Name. This song is gorgeous. I love this song. I encourage you, if you know it, just start worshiping. If you don't, worship. As she plays in the band, or she sings in the band plays, the altars will be open. There'll be people that want to pray with you. If you haven't given your heart to God, it's this simple. You confess with your mouth that you believe he is who he said he was, the son of God, that he came to die for our sins. You ask him to forgive you of your sins and you are washed clean. You start this new process in life. Your eternity is, the slate is clean. There's people up here that would love to pray for you. For those of you who have given your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, this is your cue to start worshiping. This is your cue to give him praise because he traded death for life so that we might be free. Won't you worship with us? Your love was great 